here with Free Thought Project podcast with Jason Bassler, Johnny Liberty, and our very special guest, Ford Fisher. Ford is the uh, co-founder and editor-in-chief of News to Share. Um, it's one of the most prestigious, objective, live-streaming journalist outlets out there, and um, he's over the years, he's covered everything. I mean, he, he, he recently, this month, he has won what we like to call an Emmy, but he's too modest to say is an actual Emmy, but it's a, it's a recognition because his footage was used in the PBS documentary Charlottesville, which won an Emmy, and he was just given the award for that uh, a couple of weeks ago. All right, man. So, Ford, dude, every time I look at your Twitter, you're like at a, it's some different part of the country. So um, it looks like you're in Washington, D.C. right now. Is that correct? Uh, right now I'm in Washington, D.C., but as of the time we're recording this, uh, tomorrow I'll actually be flying to Louisiana, uh, to film, uh, a group called the NFAC. Are you if coming to Lafayette? My... Yeah. Uh-huh. Dude, I live here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> How that's crazy funny. is that? Okay. Yeah, dude, NFAC is supposed to be downtown at, um, Park Sans Souci tomorrow. My, sounds like you're already familiar with the next thing I'm doing, but yeah, so I will be filming the, uh, NFAC in Lafayette on Saturday. The listeners out there who don't know who NFAC is, that's uh, the non, Not Fucking Around Coalition. It's a group of, uh, it's like a, it's a black militia. They don't go chant slogans. They just, they don't hold signs. They just hold guns. And they stand there whenever they, whenever they find that there's like a, a unjust killing of a black person. And um, in Lafayette, there, there was such a killing which took place last month. His killing was uh, 11 cops followed him a half mile. No, the autopsy showed that he didn't employ a taser, and they claimed that he had a knife. And uh, But right before he was about to walk into a store, they they uh, dumped 11 rounds into him and killed him on the spot. So there's been protests and unrest here since then, and um, not much is changing. Our, our mayor is uh, kind of refusing to, to give any leeway and, and meet the protesters halfway. So... Uh, the NFAC is done fucking around, apparently, so they're coming down here. We'll see how that pans out. <laughs> I, I would add that the part of their motivation, they had actually referenced this the last time I filmed them in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, which I've, I've covered them there twice. They are particularly allured to, um, to Louisiana because there was the U.S. Congressman Clay Higgins who said something to the effect on Facebook of I, that he would... That he would uh, shoot them 10 times before dropping his beer or something like that yeah um, and it was so violent that it was removed from social media for like right the- yeah people thought maybe he deleted it and the congressman basically said oh no i didn't delete it sucked it <laughs> yeah yeah that um, guy that guy he's he's the, unfortunately the congressman in my area and um he, he we we actually reported on him on the free thought project uh a year before he ran for congress because he spent like a I don't know, $100,000 to make this kind of crazy, like, 
terrorist looking video where uh, they <laughs> where they like they got all together in like a V-shaped formation and held AR-15s and then threatened to kill drug dealers. It was real, uh, <laughs> really crazy, man. Oh, yeah, he I remember got that. elected as congressman. <laughs> right. Well, in any event, so, I mean, I think that all of these different things are becoming a little bit more volatile as we get, especially closer to the election, but I think that some of these issues run deeper than that, right? Like, um, honestly, at the end of the day, like, a lot of the same problems we were having, you know, in 2014 and 2015, a lot of the same Black Lives Matter issues were being talked about. And uh, honestly, I think regardless of the election results, uh, many of these problems will continue, right? But the, all, both, you know, primary presidential candidates would love to say that, like, oh, like, I alone can fix it, and the other person is emblematic of what the problem really is. But um, the, the way that I see it, I think there's, there's lived pains that people are expressing on the ground and and it's actually pretty detached from who the president is um that's not to say that they like president trump at all <laughs> to be extremely clear uh but just to say that these problems don't go away if he does now you uh you go to protests and you definitely get a uh, pretty glaring anti-trump sentiment there's a there's a lot of fuck trump fans uh, actually, I did want to ask you for it. Uh, we, you know, uh, we know that you, you travel everywhere. You're covering everything. And uh, you've been doing this for years. Uh, for our listeners that don't know, you actually were in Charlottesville and recently won an Emmy for uh, work that you produced while you were there. I was going to ask you, um, going through and doing all this, live streaming all these events, what's been like your biggest takeaway from this? Like, do you ever just step back and think like you're just live streaming the collapse of the United States while <laughs> you're doing this? Well, yeah. And so, I mean, to be clear, I do. The reason that I go out to these things is I think it's really important both for our understanding today as well as our understanding in the future of like, how, how did this all happen? What, what did it all mean? And um, so my differentiation of like between myself and like the mainstream media or whatever, right. Is I do it in a very raw format where my own views of whatever I'm filming are, are irrelevant. And basically I try to act like the C-SPAN of, of activism, right. That I go to stuff. I try to live stream it beginning to end it. You hear very little from me in my live streams and usually not at all from me in my YouTube videos where it's just a cut down of, um, you know, basically cinema quality footage of, the thing that happened right um so basically just sort of summarizing events you know after the fact where people can then look back at the live stream and see the context for every single shot in my opinion that's a lot more useful than like cnn showing like 30 seconds of b-roll on a loop while having like two pundits like argue at each other about what the footage means <laughs> right um, oh, I, I absolutely agree. We were actually talking right before we jumped on this call about how you just seem to be one of the most objective streamers out there. You know, everybody wants to add in their commentary, and you just let the incident speak for itself. Yeah, so I, I try to. I think I got into the live streaming game, if you will, a little bit earlier than, um, you know, now there's like a, a lot of people who do this because it's an extremely accessible form of journalism, which I think is a good thing. I, I want to have the most live streamers out there, but... There is, the, there is a problem, which is that there's an assumption that kind of like every live streamer out there is going to be this like janky, like, you know, like person who's basically just an activist who bought a gimbal for their iPhone, right? Like, and so there's this assumption sometimes when people see them that you're going to, that it's like, you're either like an Antifa live streamer, like that was a criticism that, you know, people have sometimes like in Portland. I was in Portland recently where there was a ton of people labeled press who are just using iPhones. 
And, the, you know, so there's a criticism from the right that says, oh, they're all like fake press or something. But there's also skepticism sometimes at, at, among leftists that like, you know, this person is presenting themselves as an objective journalist, but, I, but there are certainly right wing live streamers out there, right? How do you know, how do you differentiate and say like, this one's a legitimate one? And so that, that creates unique challenges on the street. Um, and I think that it's unfortunate that 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 that, uh, that issue causes, I think, some skepticism of, of the media, you know, in, in front of somebody. Right. If I go up to ask someone a question, they don't know who I am. Um, you know, I understand their concern. What if I'm a, a leftist streamer? What if I'm a right wing streamer or something? Right. What if I'm trying to hurt them in some way? I, I am not. I'm someone who really wants to just kind of show what's going on. What what are what's the feel of the thing going on? What are the people thinking? Why are they out there? Um, you know, and I, I wish that that was what most journalists would uh, aspire to, to show. As far as your, as your question about kind of just takeaways in general, um, you know, I'm not going to make comments about like who's right or wrong in these things, but I will say that like for me, like probably one of the biggest things that I've like learned or felt over the last several years of doing this is I think that there's become kind of an evolution over the last few years where during the Obama administration, activism was mostly a like a left of a left of center tactic almost exclusively. There were barely any conservative protests. There was a little bit of Tea Party stuff, but you know there's some pro gun rallies. But like for the most part, like when we think about like what were the big protests, it was people protesting like from Obama's left. It was people saying Obama's still deporting a lot of people. Save the DACA kids. Right. Obama hasn't shut down Guant Guantanamo Bay, uh, you know, and then, of course, Black Lives Matter. Right. He, despite having a black president, we're still having people shot by the police all the same. Um, in the Trump era, though, there is still that kind of like person versus state conflict. Like the protesters were always like it's like them versus the state. They want the state to change something. They want the state to stop doing something, stop deporting people, stop torturing people, stop shooting black people. Right. Those are all asking asks of the state. Now, although that still exists, people fighting the police or, you know, whatever it is, the the right has almost answered the left. Like like people use the word reactionary, but like literally it's a reaction where now there is right wing activism as well, where it kind of mimics that original style of the left. And so now you have right wing activists going out to things and leftists responding to them and in a way, the two sidetrack, because when you're fundamentally advocating about politics, you're advocating about the way that you want government to look, right? <laughs> like, the, like the target is the state, but the people end up protesting against each other, right? Protesters and counter-protesters, and ironically, it's the government keeping them apart, right? <laughs> it's the police, like, separating them. So there has been a strange... Uh, I guess, dynamic shift. And I think the other evolution that really has been the last two years, so maybe halfway through the Trump administration, is when the right wing decided, hmm, this protesting stuff, maybe we should kind of, you know, start, <laughs> start getting into that. They brought their guns with them. And in the last couple years, I have been seeing a, a much bigger increase in the presence of firearms from people not on the right. So we were just talking about the NFAC, which I don't think would neatly be described as leftist either, to be clear. But but an all black armed organization, uh, you know, armed, I've, I've been to rallies with armed Black Lives Matter activists, uh, you know, anti-fascists more prominently carry firearms than I think before. And so it really has uh, scaled up 
both in terms of like the amount of violence and conflict, um, the fact that it's citizen to citizen, and and now the presence of guns at these events. Yeah, uh, great assessments there, Ford. And yeah, who would better know than you? Congrats also on your Emmy, man. That's huge. Um, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate I it. I don't, don't think I know anybody who's won an Emmy before. Technically, so I don't know if it counts as an Emmy. I was an associate producer on a film that got an Emmy. And then the, like, the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences or whatever sent the trophy that says, like, the, the, it's in recognition of my contribution to the Emmy. <laughs> like, it looks like an Emmy, but I don't think I get to say that I own an Emmy. Gotcha. <laughs> we'll no, just call it an Emmy, man. It's We're close yeah, call yeah. it an Emmy. It's close enough, yeah. Like, <laughs> sure. I've been, like, correcting, like, my mom's, like, my son won an Emmy. I'm like, I want you to be able to say that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm exactly allowed to say that. It's like it the, certainly looks it's like, like the one. Dir- it's like the director and producer are the one who actually get their name on the, you know, the, the Emmy itself. But whatever. That, these are minor, that, these as, are minor details. I got a as, trophy that has the word Emmy on it. As, <laughs> as you continue to live stream the collapse of America, I'm sure there will be more opportunities. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is something that's also really difficult for me is that, you know, like people congr- congratulated me on getting that, that award, which was, which was incredible. But like, among the people congratulating me was the mother of Heather Hare, um, Susan Bro, And she wrote something very funny and sweet. She said something like, like, in spite of it being like social distancing, like there wasn't an award show or something for me to be at. But she said, you should wear a tuxedo all day anyway. Um, it was very <laughs> cute. Like, it was a sweet thing for her to say. But it, but it, is, it is difficult to have, um, you know, content like that, that's re- that I think is really important and it's really difficult to film, but also like, but also to be celebrated by like having like an award or something for it. Um, you know, it's, it's challenging, right? I think that there are certainly ways to have, uh, fun covering the stuff in general, but when it goes to that kind of place, when people get like seriously hurt, it can be, uh, certainly emotionally difficult or impactful. Uh, you know, especially when I have to, you know, still remain objective about how I'm talking about it. Sure. And uh, speaking of being objective, you touched on this a few minutes ago, but that whole situation uh, with the Proud Boys in Portland, um, the Proud mm-hmm. Boys, of course, who just got a nod from uh, Trump during the debate, which a day later he claimed that he, he doesn't know who they are or what they're about, ironically, kind of like WikiLeaks. But um, right. I love those WikiLeaks. Keep the WikiLeaks coming. Right. I don't know anything about Julian Assange. I've never, I don't really know the WikiLeaks. <laughs> like, just completely, yeah, I, I get your point. But any, anyhow. Right, so you posted that picture. It looks like there was a, a group of some of those Proud Boys who confronted you in Portland. Um, this seems to happen to you pretty frequently um, on both sides, from both sides. Like, how did you resolve that situation? And was there anything learned as to, like, how to possibly um, not have this kind of confrontation happen again? Sure. So, and I'll give you a little bit more of a of a scoop than even I found online because I've I've become privy to a little bit of new information since then. Um, so I don't want to att- attract so much more attention to that situation, which is why I haven't been continuing to post about it. But if anybody really puts in the effort to like listen to this podcast, still you know investigate it, then here here's the nugget of exclusivity for you guys. <laughs> so as background, what you're talking about for your for your viewers is at the proud boys rally that took place in portland on saturday a they had a group i want to say they were called american warrior three percent some it was a anyhow they had a militia group doing security for the proud boys and this was at a public park and a 
uh, you know, I had shaken hands with some people there, journalists and a, and a few of the like activists participating in this thing. Um, so people certainly knew I was there and they know, you know, who I am. And a uh, maybe a half hour into me being there, but before I had set up a live stream, like the event hadn't really started yet. Some uh, probably about eight members of a militia group, including one who kind of took point, like there was only one who I was really talking to. But he, they came up to me and said, you need to leave. And I was like, I, basically, excuse me. And he described that he's, he goes, we have intelligence. We know that you're Antifa. And I was like, like excuse me? Wow. Like, you know, and so I, the problem is that, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be arguing with people out there on the street. I don't want to be the story. Like, I realize that for some people, it's like, this is a moment for, like, a make a viral video arguing with somebody. Like, I really wanted to, like, de-escalate this because I don't want to be, I don't want people focusing on me. I don't want to be the person arguing with him because then, then the story is framed as me being against them in some way. And so instead, I, I kept trying to kind of divert the conversation to, look, the, this is a Proud Boys rally. The, the, the chairman of the Proud Boys is here. He knows that I'm here. I've talked to him already. Like, why don't we go, you know, can we go over and talk to him? And he'll, I'm sure he'll tell you that it's fine for me to be there. And so th this argument went on for a few minutes. He kept trying to say, like, he goes, he's like, well, I, you know, it's on my authority. I'm saying you can, like, you should leave. But it's like, okay, you're policing a public park. Um, in any event, uh, at one point I was like, but this is a Proud Boys rally. Are you a Proud Boy? He's like, no, but it's not a Proud Boys rally. And then as he said that, a guy in a Proud Boys shirt came up, like, into the group and, like, put his hand into the middle and went, proud of your boy? Like, <laughs> like it, was, it was so perfectly timed um to kind of like snicker at but in any event um finally i convinced him okay let's go up to the stage let's ask an organizer and the president of the proud boys enrique torrio i i kind of tried to downplay it a little bit but i was like hey you know there's this one guy here he thinks that i'm a part of antifa and he's trying to kick me out and enrique goes that's probably because you are just kidding <laughs> like he was like guys stop giving him shit and they apologized to me and they shook my hand the thing that I was going to say that I, I guess is probably an exclusive scoop for you guys is what I, what I discovered afterwards, because I didn't understand what, literally, where did this come from? You're Antifa, right? There are certainly openly progressive or leftist uh, journalists who were, who were there, and they targeted me, who is, who is not that. And what I, what I realized later is that there's an account called It's Going Down. Um, it's an anti-fascist news organization. It's basically an openly pro-Antifa like news org. And it looks like they had reposted photos of mine, not, not like retweeting them or sharing them or quote tweeting them or something. But some of the photos that I had posted from earlier in the day at that event, they had just ripped and then they credited photo by Ford Fisher. But I, I think to somebody who would look at that and not be, uh, you know, and, and not and not be privy to the to the situation like, oh, they took it off his Twitter account, like without his permission. Someone looking at that might assume that like that, like I was posting from that account or that I had given them permission to do that, like it, that in some way I was coordinating with them. So I don't know for fact, but I my my assumption is that is that that's what they had seen. And and at the time I had no idea. So I didn't even know how to explain. Oh, you know, that's not me. They just took it from me. Whatever. In any event, I mean, the real problem that it speaks to is that overall, you know, 
people in public places have the right to film, you know, at those things. I, I make an effort, generally speaking, not to, like, go up in people's faces. I'm very happy when people wear masks. I don't really, like, if you don't want me to know who you are, I don't want to know who you are. Um, but uh, with all that being said, you know, j- journalists have the right to be in a public place, whether you like their sort of reporting or not. And, and I surely didn't appreciate having somebody uh, armed uh, come up to me and basically say, you, you have to leave. Yeah, man, that's, that's crazy. I'm glad that settled without any further escalation. You know, and for and, some people, it did it, it did have escalation. There there were other journalists who were physically forced out of the area, and including one who the police say they're investigating, where a video showed, and it, it looked like it was the exact opposite end of the park. So, like, I didn't eyewitness this, but, like, one person identifying as a journalist was literally, like, pushed down and then kicked in the head. Wow. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that brings me to a, 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 another question, man. So. Sure. You're out here, like you just said, you know, you're by yourself. You're not on, you don't have the backing of one of these mobs on either side of you to, to protect you. You're out there being objective and showing the entire story. So, I mean, I've seen pictures on your Twitter or Facebook where you've getting, you know, you got like a pepper ball to the neck and, and all kinds of different, um, you know, all kinds of different injuries and stuff like that, man. Would you, would, right. would you mind elaborating on some of the stuff that like, the, the, or the precautions that you have to take and, and what you do yeah. to, to prevent that? Well, in in fairness, so I I, to, I I would personally take exception to. I wouldn't claim that there's mobs on every side of each thing. Uh, yeah, I'm so sorry, that was, not, that was an exaggeration. Not, not my I mean, wording. Sometimes but, there are though. <laughs> right, fair enough. Um, so I actually have felt that the most, like in terms of physical injuries in the, I'll say like the COVID era, right, of activism. Um, I, I have, in terms of, like, what's actually sort of hit my body, like, of course it's, like, there are scary moments like that of people saying, you know, that, that you know, we don't want you here because you might be Antifa, or, you know, in the case of, of a protest in D.C., like, I had a weird situation where, like, the protesters were making all of the press put on these, like, glow stick bracelets to show that they had known that they were credentialed media, and that bas- they literally said, and we will put hands on anybody who does, who is who says they're press but doesn't have one of these? But it's like if my little glow stick fell off, then <laughs> like yeah, I no I mean, longer have crazy. the mark and I'm like in danger, you know? Like these. So, um, and to be clear, that was a really weird situation. That's only happened once. I mean, I've never heard of something like that before. But in spite of all of that, in terms of the actual physical things that have happened to me. Uh, you know, what you were alluding to was I got shot in the head with a rubber bullet by police um, on, I think it was May 31st, and I was hit by two pepper rounds on uh, May 30th. To people who aren't familiar with, like, sting bombs, basically it's, like, fired sort of like a paintball gun, um, and uh, these sting bombs, basically they, they explode, they, they impact you, and it leaves, you know, a, <laughs> a dent, I guess, if you will, probably about the equivalent force of like a BB gun. But then uh, it, when it pops, it has the effect of like pepper spray, like in the substance that it pops into. Yeah, um, actually, I remember when you got hit with one of those in D.C., I was holding your camera for a couple of minutes while you recovered. Right, yeah. So that, that was like, it was pretty blinding and it was pretty unexpected. It, so in that exact moment that that had happened, there was a firework that had exploded maybe like 15 seconds earlier. And I, I was pretty close to that firework, but, but like, honestly, fireworks are loud, but like, they don't really like 
hurt you. Like I was in the blast radius of the firework, but it's not, it's not hot, right? <laughs> like it doesn't burn you. It doesn't like sort of do anything. And so I was, I actually had like chuckled. I said something into my live stream to the effect of like, oh, sorry, that must have been loud. Like a firework just exploded or something like that. And so in, in the exact moment, like before that, like af after the firework, but before the, the shot hit, like nothing was really happening in that moment. Like the, so that shot hitting me in the shoulder felt like extremely random. Um, like I, I really have no idea why they would have done that. Um, but yeah, as you said, I had to like almost hand off my camera for a second as I was like trying to like kind of clear my eyes and like be able to see, but it was probably, you know, it feels like a lot longer, but it was probably about five minutes that I couldn't, that I, I functionally couldn't like see. Yeah. It was um, I, I got hit with a pepper round in my backpack uh, just a, probably maybe a minute or two after you got hit. I was walking away and got hit. And it, it took it out of me for a couple of minutes, too. I definitely had to go off, get off to the side and go catch my breath because it, it, it was it was pretty noxious. In, in that sense, it's a little bit effective in that, like, you're kind of you're blind and it's like, OK, I'm going to go away from the person shooting the make you blind things at you. <laughs> like right. you know you you want to get away from it so it is kind of effective but at the same time it's like effective to do what right so some if someone's running at you with a with a with a their own firework or their own thing to shoot at you or throw at you like or something that then it's like reasonable i guess but the but like in my case it's like i'm pointing a camera at the cop right <laughs> like there's not i in my mind there's not a justification and you can say oh either the cop made a mistake in which case, it's like, well, you point any kind of gun at anything, you say, know, know your target and what's behind it, especially if you're going to pull the trigger, or, or he intentionally targeted press. And I, like, I don't know which of those two things is better. Well, we uh, did see instances where they did intentionally target the press. You know, it was like sure. we had the ABC out of Australia where the, the, they riot shielded that, the, the cameraman, and there were, there were certainly lots of incidents where they, where they were you know, proven to be targeted. They knew that they were the press, and they were targeting them, so... There's yeah, I don't want to draw too much attention to him, so I'm not going to say his name. But I've actually become very friendly with the Australian cameraman in question, and a uh, film project that I'm working on with him oh, nice. is going to be out in the next month. Um, yeah, so in, entirely coincidentally, I, I met and am collaborating with that guy on a on another project. Um, so more to come. I'll t I'll tell you all about it when it comes out. Um, on the on the following night, we were we were talking about like the stuff you know, <laughs> uh, sting balls hitting the following night, I was hit with a rubber bullet in the forehead. Um, and that, that was a lot more damaging sort of long term. So like the pepper, the pepper things are kind of like, Oh, after five minutes, like you'll kind of get over it. <laughs> and then it just leaves a little pelt like on your you know skin, but like, it's not a huge deal. The, the rubber bullet left like a, about like a half an inch, um, like sore, coming out of my head and so i actually skipped the following day of protests which to place it in history the that was the day that um like trump held up the bible and they is that your bible mr trump and he said it's a bible <laughs> <laughs> that was a defining uh, moment in american history man <laughs> and that so that that moment rather than being out there on the streets as much as it killed me uh, during that exact moment, I was at home watching it on TV because I because I wasn't sure if I had a concussion, frankly. Man, yeah, those rubber bullets are no joke, and uh, we've even covered uh, and made memes about some of the protesters over the past few months who've lost eyes. There's been yeah. a handful, at the least. 
you know, who've actually, yeah, lost an eye entirely. Um, so yeah. please be careful out there, man. A lot of times I see you, you're not, you're not wearing a helmet. You're wearing your trusty news to share hat. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'll give you guys another secret uh, that sure. I've got a, I line it with a bump cap. So when I wear that ball cap, generally speaking, it actually is like tiny, like a little bit of an inconspicuous helmet. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. well, that's certainly, yeah, that's certainly a little bit smarter and the, uh, makes me feel a little better. The, the thing about like, I'm going to probably buy a new ballistic helmet at some point soon. Uh, cause it's getting kind of old. The straps are messed up, but the, the ballistic helmet that I use is very, very like obviously that. And so I, I feel like when it comes down to it in the, like in a split, in a split moment decision, like if a cop is deciding like rubber bullet here or here, like I actually almost don't want the thing that makes me look more like quote unquote militant. Um, it's the same reason I tend to only wear the bulletproof vest. Like if I, if I really think there's a severe risk, cause some, sometimes I see people out at these events wearing like this, like huge, basically their own riot gear. And it's like, okay, but there's not <laughs> like you, you might be attracting undue attention to, your, sure. to yourself. Not, not that police should target press that are all like danked out, but I, I do think that there's a level of like balance. So for me, sometimes the balanced approach is like, you know, <laughs> it makes sense to wear the bump cap. If nobody, if no one's actually going to be firing like live ammo and I'm more concerned about bats, bricks, whatever, um, then, then that, makes, that makes more sense for me to be a little bit more like street clothes. Well, that actually leads me to my next question because, um, yeah, it's obvious that you're putting yourself into harm's way. And a lot of times, um, I think most of the people who are probably watching wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Um, what was the sketchiest situation you've ever gotten yourself into while filming? Is there like one particular uh, protest that you remember and you're like, holy shit, I just need to get the hell out of here? Uh, yeah, so I, I don't want to... Uh... I'll, get, I'll give only the amount of, like, detail on this as, like, is online. But there was a situation once that I filmed in uh, Arkansas in 2018 in which basically, like, actual hardcore swastika-bearing neo-Nazis held an armed protest in front of the state capitol. And the local media had actually made basically a pact to not cover it. Like, they didn't want to... They didn't want to draw undue attention to Little Rock and and like, you know, the, the message of the Nazis on this particular thing. So the media that ended up going was basically me, Vice News, uh, you know, and then a couple of progressive outlets like uh, Think Progress was one of them and Right Wing Watch. And there were, and also like a student newspaper off, off the top of my head. That literally might have been it. But so I covered their rally. The police did a fairly decent job of keeping or not, not, I shouldn't even say fairly decent job. My, I, there was no violence that day. The police kept two sides separate. Basically, there was a line of riot cops, um, you know, separating uh, Nazis from uh, Antifa. And, you know, pretty much nobody got physically hurt. And they had, uh, about a year earlier, this exact Nazi group had taken, had done like a, like a swastika burning that night that um, a photographer friend of mine, Jim Urquhart, got like an iconic photo of. Um, and they were going to do something like that that night. And so I was kind of like asking them, you know, what's your plan and whatever. And they told me where they were going to be doing this thing. And it was private property. And when I actually went there, in, essentially invited, like, well, this is the address. If you want to film it, sort of be our guest. When I actually got there, the property owner, who was apparently sympathetic to these guys to let them do this, was like, 
no. <laughs> like, when, like he, he said that like some some journalist had interviewed him at some point and like trashed him, and he was like furious that they like let me come, and like basically I had taken an Uber out there, and this is like the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, and. <laughs> Uh, the Uber driver, I had explained what the thing was and he was like, well, here's my personal phone number in case you want, you need like a quick pickup. Like, cause I didn't even have cell phone service basically out there. So when I, I basically, when I tried, he left me there and then I tried to call him back like only minutes later. Cause I'm like, nope, I need to leave. I need to leave this guy's like trying to, you know, whatever. But the, this among the two like things that made me really uncomfortable about it was I was like, okay, fine, like, fine, I'm leaving. Like, just, like, let a car get back here to pick me up. And they wanted to hold on to my camera during that time, right? Like, they didn't want me to even be, like, holding the camera while, while waiting for that. The, the other thing that felt, I will say it felt intimidating. It wasn't, I guess you could put in quotes, like an actual threat. But an intimidating moment for me happened when one of the participants who was wearing a mask which was not required at the time, uh, took out a, like a hunting knife. He, he like unsheathed it and he, and I was still wearing my bulletproof vest from earlier in the day. And he, like the words that he said were, do you think, do you think this knife would go through your, your vest? Like, like, and like, I tried to just kind of like chuckle it off. Like I kind of, I, I chuckle instinctively even when it's like not the right thing to do. And I, so I actually like kind of laughed and I was like, I think it wouldn't, but I'd really just rather not try. Like I said it like that, like I was like, just like as if this was a complete joke. But um, ultimately the Uber driver, you know, picked me up and then, and then I left before the, uh, the thing happened. So um, all told, I'm perfectly happy with not having gotten that shot uh, in order to know for certain that I got out safely. Right. Yeah, that Uber okay. driver deserves a medal too, man, for coming back in. <laughs> well, he got sixty dollars in cash. We yeah, didn't do well, it. That's we awesome. didn't do that's it. Awesome. We didn't do it through the Uber app on his on his way on his way back. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, so like that, we just kind of touched on all the crazy shit that happens when you're out there in the streets, you know, filming this and and bringing it to everybody else out there who's not there. Um, let's go into what happens when you're back at home and you're putting this stuff online. We can, uh, like with the censorship and the demonetization and just, right. I remember like a couple of weeks ago, uh, everybody was sharing, uh, you know, our John vibes, you know, he came into our group chat and put a, a screen cap showing that you had been deleted from Facebook with no explanation or nothing, no reason given or anything like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, you were luckily you were you were reinstated, but uh, yeah, man, you want to touch on some of the censorship and some of the hurdles that you, as a journalist sure. who's got a freaking Emmy kind of thing, and and, <laughs> and you're and you're and you're facing like this crazy censorship and um and demonetization battle against big tech. Right. So um, I'll start starting with kind of the first like big fight that I had like this in twenty nine in mid twenty nineteen. Uh, there was a controversy at YouTube over, uh, I'm not even going to say their names. I don't want it to be kind of about them, but there was a controversy over one YouTuber who was saying, uh, you know, allegedly like racist and homophobic things about another YouTuber. And, uh, this led to people pushing back against YouTube for what they saw as overly, uh, allowing community standards. And so YouTube said, okay, we're restricting our community state. We're going to be more strict about what content can be monetized and, and on YouTube altogether. 
And so they demonetized or removed a thousand channels in one day. And so people like called it the, uh, the adpocalypse because it was an apocalypse for independent content creators relying on ads. Um, you know, and some people were outright deleted. Um, and it was largely over what they viewed as a, as a more broad view of, of hate speech. And so in the case of like, there was actually one like elementary school teacher who had uh, videos of, of like the Nazis from like the actual Nazi era in Germany on his, on his channel, right? It's how you teach kids here. This is what happened. Literally here's video from the thirties. And like that entire channel was actually deleted and YouTube did reverse that decision. But in my case, my entire channel was demonetized and two of my videos were taken down completely. Um, one of the videos was of a, uh, speech by a guy named Mike Enoch, um, who is a, uh, basically a white nationalist who gave a speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial, which while if Mike Enoch had recorded the content of that speech into his own webcam and posted it on his own channel, it probably would be correctly defined as a violation of community standards or whatever. Um, but in the case of me as an objective journalist filming this, right, my footage of that speech was used later in the Emmy-winning film, right? Like, the, like, it has historical importance. And I wouldn't mind YouTube applying a label to it of some kind, right? Like, you know, in some cases, some of my content is rated 18+, plus, which I don't particularly like the 18-plus designation, but I do think warnings are okay. There's language in this. There's offensive content in this, whatever. But instead, they deleted it. The, the other one that they deleted was uh, there was a situation where there was is pro-Israel and pro-Palestine protesters kind of arguing with each other. And then a Holocaust denier showed up. A guy showed up to basically say, well, well, what I think is that Israel is bad because, and then he went on to say ridiculous horseshit about, you know, the Holocaust. And both sides actually repudiate, repudiated him. There were pro-Palestine and pro-Israel people were both like, what the fuck are you talking about? And so my video was actually of two sides shutting him down. But no, for YouTube looked at this video and apparently doesn't see the difference between a video of a Holocaust denier being shut down by protesters and Holocaust denial as like as a thing. Right, like right? actively promoting Holocaust denialism. And so I think this is the, really the issue with these automated systems is where it's looking at these keywords and this will circle back to the issue we had a couple of weeks ago, but they're looking for these keywords. Oh, like, you know, Holocaust, denial, right? like Nazis, Israel, Palestine. By the way, I, I looked at the list of um, there's a there, there's a channel that looks at what words cause videos to be demonetized. Right. What videos does YouTube actually punish you for? And the, their methodology is they upload videos of nothing like a four seconds of a black screen and then they just caption it with different stuff to see what gets auto-demonetized. The, the word Palestine is a demonetizable word, right? Palestine, that's inherently provocative wow. or inappropriate in some way. Um, out of my approximately 1,000 videos on my channel at the time, a lot of what I had covered was actually uh, activism related to Palestine. And so a, a total of 70 videos, or about 7% of my channel, pertain to that subject. I, I don't know exactly what the reasoning was, what calculation a robot did, but to put it simply, you know, a bigoted robot <laughs> decided that my channel uh, should be demonetized. And I basically complained at YouTube for more than half a year 
before YouTube actually in a single tweet said, we apologize, your, your channel was demonetized in error, monetization has been restored. Like, it was like, it was like so anticlimactic, just like, we're sorry, it's fixed. Like, like never talk to us yeah, again. Yeah, we're not like, going to give you like back the six months of lost revenue that was our fault. Right, though. there's no, yeah, so this is the problem. So for me, I think that whenever these big tech companies, like, I realize they have a private, you know, thing. If YouTube says we don't want to host this or that content or we don't want to monetize this or that, meh, okay. But I think that it's, that at the, at the bare minimum, I think that people are entitled to a human explanation. I, I think they're entitled to somebody type a human being typing on a keyboard explaining the reason we're taking down your channel is we think that it uh you know is hateful or something and you, you should have the ability to reply to that like you know in in my case what i would reply is like there is some content on here that that addresses the subject of hate but but the channel is not hateful i'm ta- i'm talking about i'm showing i'm documenting uh hate can what and and if you still have a problem with that, what what would it take to make the channel be in compliance? Would you like me to add warnings at the beginning? Right? Are there certain words that you'd like for me to uh, bleep out if someone says them? I don't. I personally am pretty against that. I don't. <laughs> I don't bleep anything. But but I think that people should at least be entitled to have a conversation with a human being rather than have an automated system do that and have it take an an for most people, impossible amount of advocacy to get a human being's attention. Um, in the case of Facebook, I had a similar but much more severe issue briefly <laughs> a few weeks ago. So we were talking earlier about how I went to Louisville and covered the NFAC there. So the NFAC has come a couple times to Louisville, and a few Saturdays ago, um, I went to Louisville to film as there was both the NFAC as well as a right-wing militia that wanted to counter-protest them called the Angry Viking Militia. <laughs> um, and the Angry Vikings, <laughs> like some of this, <laughs> some of this stuff, so, mo- most of these guys were dressed in army stuff or like Trump gear, but like there actually were, <laughs> there was at least one person who was actually wearing like a full Viking costume. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's some degree that it's like, yeah, you can like look at this stuff and laugh from a distance if you'd like, but um, the, uh, so, I mean, during that day, um, at the beginning of it, the so-called angry Vikings were marching um, into the city and they were confronted by um, not the NFAC, but other local Black Lives Matter activists, um, many of whom were armed. And there was some kind of pushing around, you know, punching, that, ki- that kind of fighting, but not, not severe violence as in, you know, weapons being... Uh, used to like like baseball bats hitting or you know pepper spray or anything like that but there were some people who actually uh unholstered handguns and to people unfamiliar with these situations like carrying a rifle or shotgun it kind of requires your hand to keep it like steady like while pointed down at the ground which should it should always be but handguns belong in holsters and when somebody unholsters a handgun that's like a big deal right (laughs) like that's Mm -hmm. that's a serious escalation even if you don't point it at somebody your handgun really shouldn't be anywhere other than a holster um, um, unless essentially you're at imminent, in imminent danger. There was a moment in which a person who had pulled the handgun uh, was sort of in a fight, and then he walked away from the fight, and he didn't reholster the handgun, but he was walking toward another fight. And so I sort of followed from behind him um, to see sort of what was he going to do. And at one point he cycled it, uh, like from, from lower ready to upper ready. And what it, all, very simply all I mean is that he, ra- rather than just keeping it pointed at the ground, 
he he raised it up and in the in the sequence of him doing that it was it was pointed like at another human being for a moment like and so i got a photo that that basically shows this person you know pointing a, a gun at another human a pistol at another human being like presumably he was a trigger pull away from killing this guy for a moment Right. So I posted on Facebook. So I, I live streamed all of this stuff happening and the NFAC was going to come to town later in the day. And so, so I wasn't kind of at my computer processing nice photos and HD video and stuff. But I took a photo of the photo preview on my camera, like I, like using my iPhone. I took a photo of the DSLR to show what the, this picture that I had gotten. And I posted it as a Facebook status, basically saying hi to everybody who was watching. I'm fine. Uh, you know, violence was fairly minimal, but there were guns drawn, and this is um, this is one frame I got. And basically, look, at, this is dangerous, right? Like your your gun needs to be guns need to stay holstered, and when you take them out, they need, you know never point a gun at something you're not willing to destroy. This was dangerous, and I I, I remember ending the status. This is how people die. Um, it wasn't a condemnation of a specific side. In fact, I'm not even particularly going to reference which side the person with the gun who did that was. But suffice it to say, it was dangerous. Um, I then went and live-streamed the NFAC, who did their march later in the afternoon. And as I was live-streaming the NFAC, apparently, uh, my entire Facebook was deleted, like off the face of the earth. Um, I wasn't aware of it because I, I live-streamed from an app outside Facebook that allows it to stream simultaneously to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And the stream kept going until I wanted it to stop on Twitter and YouTube. But when I, when I shut down the stream, I had a, a few messages from people saying, on Twitter saying, what happened to your Facebook? And I was like, oh, my God, what did happen to my Facebook? And when I went to log in, um, the app logged me out. And when I went to type in my information, it just said, your account has been disabled. <laughs> um, no details. In my in email inbox, absolutely no emails from Facebook. Just literally, it's just like, it's just gone. Um, that was a terrible feeling. Um, and, I, and I know that if you're listening to the Free Thought Project, you're pro you've probably felt that feeling or you know somebody who has. Um, but I'll say that especially when you, are, you, know, you have a monetized Facebook page, uh, your, your business, your audience is like largely through Facebook. Like This is really devastating to me, both both personally, like, oh, God, my prom photos are gone. <laughs> but also, uh, you know, professionally, right? My, my income is, is going to be very, would be very stunted if something like that stayed. Sure. And so I posted very immediately. I started posting, posted screenshots and stuff uh, explaining what had happened. And I got like 6,000 retweets on a Twitter thread about it that did tag Facebook. And a day later, the... Um, and a few people also reached out to me saying, here are some people that you could like try to email and see if it works. So I sent some, sent some emails and like, you know, had, had some friends who claimed that they had friends at Facebook. Like you guys try, like everybody try, like if you oh, know man. somebody, to, like, you know, do everything you can. We and, need those contacts for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and well, but the thing is, I don't know who, like, one, one day later, anyhow, without, with, again, without notification, it just came back. And I did get an email from somebody at Facebook within their, like, press department who basically told me very briefly that it was an automated, um, uh, that an automated system erroneously took down my page. And 
so I, uh, I, I sent him a very long reply explaining this is what I think Facebook needs to change about itself. And would you be willing to talk about this more? And he was like, well, we could talk off the record. And then so if we talked off the record, I can't say so. Um, but uh, what I told him, what I told him publicly, and I posted it as an open letter, is that I think that Facebook needs to have human beings on the, on the end of that. I, I do not think that, that a robot took down your Facebook is really an acceptable excuse. Um, I think that's worse, if, any, if anything. Yeah, I can, I can relate to this uh, pretty extensively. I have been banned, deleted, disabled by Facebook more times than I can count. I just had what my uh, an account that was verified. Facebook had my licenses. They had my address. They had my phone number. They had everything, and they disabled my account. And the best guess that I have is for it making fun of QAnon not being actual QAnon, but when you do that and you you know you spook something it uses a lot of the same content and you know it robots pick it up and then they just ban you mm. um yeah i mean this is so but this is the exact issue right in my case there were a ton of people who had been removed in the month or so before this um on the basis of one of three things and facebook publicly announced this it wasn't a secret Facebook said we are removing content related to these three subjects, Antifa, militias, and QAnon. And so in my case, of course I'm none of those things, but I suspect that having posted uh, over those few days about I'm going to Kentucky to film these rival militia groups, um, I had a professor actually of my university who had written something um, sort of promoting my work and writing a comment about the, you know, basically paramilitaries um, that I that I had shared it well as well. So I had a few posts on the subject, and my last post, as as I was describing to you before, was a person pointing a gun at another person in the context of a militia standoff. Right. So I think that to a Facebook robot who is looking at these, who's just scrubbing all these things for keywords and stuff, it sees a few things. There's a bunch of guns in his images. There's the, you know, words like could have shot somebody or this is how people die. You know, like there's words about the concept of violence in the context of militias. And I think that to a Facebook robot, probably in the course of a second, it's like, oh, judge, jury, executioner, guilty. He's <laughs> he has, you know, eliminated. Right. Um, and it didn't actually have a course for an appeal either. Right. It didn't. It offered me. You can, you can upload your license, which would basically just prove that I'm really me. So theoretically, if I was deleted for being a robot myself, then that would exonerate me of that charge. But in terms of, of whatever I've been accused of, if not being a fake person, presumably for presenting violence or whatever the thing is, um, there, there was absolutely nothing. There's no recourse. There's no, there's no appeal. Um, it's only because, you know, a lot of people spoke up that it got, uh, fixed, but I don't, that solution does not work for most people. Yeah, it certainly didn't work for me. I, I, I don't have, you know, personal, me personally, I don't have that big of a following. You, you have a huge following. You have news to share. You have, you know, your Twitter account, you got what, 60,000 followers on Twitter, something like that. Yeah, I think 55,000, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's maybe 60,000 by Saturday. 
that's uh, certainly more of an explanation than we've gotten in the past two years since uh, the original purge back in October 2018 when we lost uh, nearly 6 million fans. So um, that actually is something we wanted to talk about. Um, you know, you're obviously uh, deep into the world of social media and with your live streaming and everything. Um, what do you think? I know you already talked about Facebook maybe scaling back the bots and adding more um, humans to assess some of these issues. But what do you think uh, we could do as social media users, people who are um, activists, internet activists, people who are uh, influencers, journalists online? Is there any solutions that you could maybe uh, share with us that you think we could do to kind of avoid some of the censorship and, um, you know, be able to, to share our opinions freely without having to walk on eggshells all the time. Jeez, it's it's difficult, and it, it's also difficult because I do try to not frame myself as giving advice to activists and potentially changing what the happens in their world uh, as opposed to just covering it. But in the, I'll say maybe in the context of journalism, the way I think that the reason that I've ha- I'm two for two on having big censorship happen to me and then actually winning through like popular discourse you know in a way it forced me to be an activist where i'm advocating for you know free ford (laughs) free ford from the demonetization free ford from you know facebook death row um i think that the reason that i have been able to solve that and that the uh you know that that teacher was able to solve that on youtube also who got eliminated in the same purge like, is because of the fact that the content is, like, so objective. Like, I don't think, I, I think literally nobody could reasonably look at basically any of my content and claim that, like, I was endorsing the thing in it. I, I think that the issue is when you get into, you know, some news outlets tread the line where, like, I think a really interesting maybe case study that someday I would love to learn more about this is, like, like Facebook has issues with, or all of these social media outlets have issues with uh, people spreading what they call like medical disinformation. And I, I am not at all interested in having a conversation about the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, but um, Breitbart filmed a press conference of some kind in which uh, people presenting themselves as doctors talked about hydroxychloroquine in a, in a positive way. And the, I believe YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter removed that content, uh, including that my understanding is President Trump retweeted at least one aspect of it. So I, I'm not super deep into this subject, so I, I don't know exactly, exactly what happened. But, there, but there's a question, which is, you know, is Breitbart promoting them, right? Or is Breitbart just objectively covering them, and therefore Breitbart shouldn't be censored, even if the rules of these, uh, you know, outlets would say that, uh, that, the, that the doctors should be, if, for example, if the doctors film themselves doing it. Um, I think that the media, that these the big social media is having a harder and harder time figuring that out when in effect everybody is the media. There's an, there's an instinct on people's parts to want to almost jump onto the protections that press has by framing themselves as press. And this happens on the street, right? Like in in Portland when there was an injunction against violence against uh press, a lot of anti-fascists began began framing themselves as press. They literally called themselves press block. Right to be an impenetrable shield wall against the cops. Right, you can't shoot us. We're press. Um, there's almost an instinct to like do the same thing online, but but with it would come a certain responsibility, which is if you say you're press, 
you know, be press. I, I don't, I don't know how you, uh, how you stop them from censoring based on keywords, because at the end of the day, the robot probably doesn't care. I think the reason that I've gotten my stuff back is because I've been able to say, look at the content with human eyeballs and you will see that what I'm doing is journalism and not advocacy of any kind. Um, but to a robot, the robots don't know the difference. Like <laughs> out of the three outlets, out of Twitter, Facebook and YouTube, it's like Facebook tried to delete me outright and YouTube tried to, to demonetize me outright and, and maybe would have deleted my whole channel by now if it went on that, whole, on that same trajectory. Um, so I, I think it probably comes down to we, we need to do serious advocacy about these social media uh, networks to say we can't have robots doing this stuff. It's going to, like, the problem is it cuts into their bottom lines. Like, I'm sure it costs them a lot more money to have human beings do it. And for that human being on a quota, like, you've got to, you know, do 5,000 of these per day, you know, get typing, like, they're going to look at it super quickly. But I, I think that there needs to be kind of a bare minimum standard. Mm -hmm. um, I like something that Minds had proposed at one point. I remember that uh, Minds had like an idea. It might have been executed, but like Minds had an idea, which is like have a, have a user jury, right? Like if you're accused of like violating the standards on whatever the thing is, like, you know, right. you posted a violent threat or, or you posted, uh, you know, content about, uh, self-harm or, or something, or you doxed somebody or something, right? If the person feels that they didn't do that, like, no, I didn't. I just posted, uh, you know, their mugshot, but, it, but it's not actually doxing them, right? So we have a disagreement um, that they have it go to, like, a user jury and, like, nine out of 12 users have to agree that you broke the rule. Um, you know, I think that's a really creative solution. I, I, I haven't thought about or analyzed it enough to know if that's what works, but what's going on now, the increasing automation of it, is certainly not what works. And the problem is that it's getting a little bit worse in ways that make it unpredictable. So I, I know I'm kind of dragging on here, but I believe it's this, this week that Facebook is implementing a change of terms of service that actually says they can remove content on the basis of if we believe that, it, that leaving the content could lead to an adverse regulatory outcome, like that they'll take stuff down that doesn't have any specific violation of community standards, but simply because they think that the thing being there could cause the government to censor them or, or regulate them in some way. Like, it's almost ipso facto government censorship, right? We don't have to do the censoring uh, because you will be, right? We, or we don't have to justify the censoring because the government could censor us in the, in the end. Um, right. That starts today, and they also said pages and accounts could also be subjected to that. So, yeah, we'll see. Right. It should, I mean, it should be interesting in the next few weeks. The problem is it's harder to, to dispute, right? If, if they took down, you know, any, I, any particular page, right? They, they take down some, some person, you know, Joe's, do, Joe's Dogs, the page. It's a dog vlog. It's just videos of his dogs, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, if they take that down and say, well, we just aren't sure. We think that this page could have led to could have led to us being regulated. How do you appeal that? How do you prove that that's not true? Right. It's an absurd example. And I realize that Facebook probably wants to maximize its dog pages and minimize its like, you know, live streamers. But, <laughs> uh, you know, but how, literally, how would you argue against that? You, you can't. It's completely subjective. Um, and so as you add these subjective rules and then, and then you add robots to do the choosing for you, you know, I think we're kind of on a bad path and it probably means that we have to 
kind of advocate together to fix it. Because I, I don't think that the solution of each time someone pops down that we all like fight for them on their behalf. Like, I, I don't think that solution works for most people. And for the few people it does work for, I don't think it works forever. Certainly not a long-term solution either. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it can just, it can just keep happening, right? One day it's demonetization a year ago, uh, you know, the next year, <laughs> the next year it's, oh, your, your whole Facebook could be gone. So um, we only have a few minutes here. We don't want to keep you past the hour. Um, sure. But uh, just one last quick question. Um, who are your personal favorite streamers and uh, who do you think people should follow? And do you have any like <laughs> tips for people getting into the game? Yeah, so I mean, I've actually found a lot of uh, people popping up in the last six months that I've, that I've really enjoyed. I think that like my... I, I don't want to like name names about this um, because I have a lot of people who I would say influenced me in an early way and now they don't do the work that I that I like. But as, as a trend, I've seen that some people who were really popular streamers at one point now spend more time doing like webcam uh, stuff like, you know, commentary like on articles that they're reading, but like they're not on the street. So my one piece of advice I would say is is don't do that. Like it probably makes more money, but like you know, <laughs> like live your heart, right? I, I like covering these events. I can't imagine anybody caring what I have to say enough to like just watch me, you know, the YouTube channel is me, right? <laughs> um, but uh, as far as like things, pe people to follow like out there, there's a guy who I uh, have been really, really impressed by who showed up really in the last half year on like at a lot of the events that I'm at, he's just kind of, he's just there. Like in the same way people joke with me, like where's Waldo? Like where, where am I going to show up? Like this guy has been doing it like way more than me. Uh, Brendan Gutenschwager. Um, and on Twitter, he's BG on the scene. Um, I've seen that. I've definitely seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So th that guy, like I, I remember like there was um, a, about maybe, maybe about a month ago now, there were protests outside of a, uh, Trump gave a speech at the White House, and then when people left, the protesters were, like, going after the people who attended the speech. And I saw protesters swarm around one person, and I get into that, like, you know, filming, you know, who's the person, what are the protesters doing, and it's Rand Paul. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, like, this is going to be crazy, right? The protesters are going after Rand Paul right now. And it's like, who's right next to me? BG on the scene is there on the scene also. Like, <laughs> uh, so he's, he's pretty incredible at this stuff. But... Um, Overall, I would say, like, there, try to actually be aware of, of who in, in your local spot is the local live streamer. So another guy that I would recommend is named, on Twitter, he goes by Raws Media, R-A-W-S Media. Um, and he's been filming a lot, especially in Washington, D.C. But with, without any particular name on this, like, when I've been spending time in Louisville, Kentucky... There's like a gang of, uh, of journalists who, I think they call themselves the 502 Club or something, which is like the cell phone number there, that they all stream. Like there's like eight of the same live streamers who are out there every single night just in Louisville. So I would say like it's cool to follow individual people like the ones that I just mentioned, but also try to find, try to find your local streamer who stays in your city because those, those are the people that know your spot. I have a few beats, right? I think I'm very good at filming. For example, I filmed the NFAC like several times. So then I can go to, you know, Louisiana and I think I'll do a good job recording them. And if I hadn't before, I would do my research and try to do the best job I can. But I'd also say that, you know, if there's a local streamer there who also covers it, like that's probably a really good perspective to have too. 
Well, shit, Ford, we appreciate all the information and experiences you just shared with us. Thanks for being on this podcast with us. Uh, we've been uh, we've had your name on the list for a long time now, and I think uh, I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago. So I'm glad that uh, we got this done and had a chance to talk with you. Yeah. But uh, please be safe in Louisiana and Lafayette. And uh, yeah, I'm assuming Matt's probably going to try to team up with you out there. And uh, he certainly wants to buy you a beer. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, good talking to you. And I hope to be on another time. All right, brother. All right, I hope brother. I see that blue check mark in your future. <laughs> I'm working on it. All right. Thank you, guys. Peace. Be safe out there. Later.